When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Just a heads up, this intro is going to sound weird, but I promise I'll explain. All right, here's the show. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Slate's technology podcast, What Next TBD. Today, we're going to be talking about ChatGPT, a state-of-the-art conversational AI, and the exciting developments in the field of artificial intelligence. So join us as we delve in the fascinating world of artificial intelligence and the future of human-machine interaction. So what did you think? You won't hurt my feelings. I did not write that. ChatGPT did. Developed by OpenAI, it's what's called a chatbot, essentially an AI interface that acts human. It was released for free to the public last week and had the internet in a very internet frenzy. But ChatGPT is not in business to write podcast scripts. There are big, important, possibly frightening uses that explain why there's so much buzz. When I got Alex Kantrowitz, the host of the Big Technology Podcast on Zoom, to discuss ChatGPT, he offered an example of an article he asked it to write about itself. So I said, uh, complete this article. And it starts like this. This morning, OpenAI released ChatGPT an AI-powered chatbot that is an absolute menace to society. <laughs> and um, it wrote a lead to the story, like that first paragraph that was like somewhat sunny, uh, but also said that it could be used for nefarious purposes, like spreading misinformation or impersonating someone online. And it's important that we carefully consider the potential consequences of this technology and how it might be used. And after each paragraph, I kept saying, well, do that, but a little bit more sinister, like get a little bit more sinister. And it just got darker and darker as we went. Chat GPT was able to write an article based on a fairly simple prompt, and it did it pretty well. It was almost presidential, the speech. It says at the last paragraph, it's time for us to make a choice. We can either continue down the path of creating increasingly advanced AI with all the risks that entails, or we can shut off the AI once and for all. This decision is in our hands, and the future of humanity depends on it. We must act now before it's too late. I mean, wow, I'm like, you know, giving it a standing ovation here. For decades, tech companies have promoted chatbots in typical tech company fashion as part of an AI revolution that could change the world. Until now, they've fallen short. But ChatGPT stands out. It's strikingly conversational, fun easy to use, and at times, actually helpful. It's no Hal or ScarJo or whatever sci-fi movie example is in your head, but it's good enough that people are starting to grasp the real possibilities of the tech. And they're talking about how it could even threaten the dominance of Google. For years, we've been hearing from tech companies like Meta, like Google, even Amazon, that voice and chat, talking conversationally with computers is gonna be the future. And the actual products never really measured up to the promise. And now we're starting to see, actually, there is powerful tech here. And 
when you start interacting with a bot like ChatGPT, you start to see what these leaders were thinking about when they made these big predictions and promises. So today on the show, ChatGPT offers a glimpse into what AI might hold for the future of tech. Is it really the Google killer? And can we trust the answers it gives us? I'm Emily Peck, sitting in for Lizzie O'Leary, and you're listening to What Next TBD, a show about tech, power, and how the future will be determined. Stick around. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank, USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Chances are you've interacted with a chatbot before. Most likely, it was a frustrating customer service experience on a website. You tell it you need help disputing a bill, and it fumbles its way through some pre-programmed responses that aren't helpful before you furiously demand to speak to a real-life customer service worker. But chatbots, or natural language processors, are rapidly becoming more sophisticated. Earlier this year, a Google engineer made headlines when he said Lambda, the company's chatbot, was sentient, essentially thinking on its own. Don't worry, it's still in development. With ChatGPT, though, the reaction wasn't panic. It was mostly fascination. I was thinking using this one, um, it's kind of like talking to C-3PO or something without like a physical body. It's like you're talking to a robot, but it doesn't feel like that anymore. Is that what it is? What is it? Yeah, well, we, we talk to computers every day um, just using their language, right? So when we're on Google, we're talking to computer using search. When we're on TikTok, we're talking to computers using our attention. When we're on Twitter, we are talking to you know computers uh, based off of the stuff we interact with. So this is conversations with computers all the time. And the difference between that and a chatbot is now we're starting to be able to interface with computers in a way where they're actually using our language as opposed to us using theirs. Ugh, so we're making the computers like us. No doubt. It's it's the thing that sort of drives almost all human creativity is trying to create versions of ourselves trying to play God. And we're finally getting to a point where we've, we have these creations that start to mirror what a human is like. How did we get to chat GPT? I mean, this has been a decade of innovation, right? Can you kind of catch me up 10 years in a minute or two and tell me how we got here? So we're basically, this is a overnight success created through decades of research. Um, AI has been a field that's been through lots of ups and downs. And the research started to really show some promise as we got more data and faster computing. 
Uh, and all of a sudden, things that were impossible, things like teaching computers to see, uh, teaching computers to understand text, they became possible because they were now powerful enough to realize the promise of the research. That's why when you're using a photo app like Google Photos, it can understand the different types of photos you have because there's something now called computer vision, which allows computers to see like people. It can understand the exact objects it's looking at. And so we're now starting to get into the areas of speech comprehension, natural language processing, and spitting back speech that feels human-like. And the last bit of innovation here has been in an area called large language models that just takes into account vast amounts of text and starts to seem quite like uh, a human in terms of what it can spit out. And that's what we have with ChatGPT. And this is different from all the chat bots that have come before it. I mean, how, how does chat GPT kind of stand out? It stands out because it's good. I mean, we're finally getting to the point where this technology is uh, starting to become useful uh, and enjoyable enough to talk with. So there have been chatbots before. I mean, if you try to change your airline reservation, for instance, you've probably been Ugh. in one of these terrible chatbots. They were not useful or not enjoyable. Mm-hmm. And the technology has improved to the point where like you can now speak with ChatGPT, you can have a good time talking with it, and you can actually learn a lot at the same time. This type of technology is going to be the backbone of the chatbots that we see in the future, not just coming from OpenAI, but coming from a Lufthansa or coming from a Delta um, that you're now going to start to speak with. You know, every time you're doing something like customer service, even when you're searching the web, you might be able to start using something like this. And there's also vast number of use cases that we probably still don't know before people are talking about it doing homework or working through bureaucracy for themselves like these are all possible use cases big tech has put a lot of money and resources into developing ai but so far what we've seen is siri or alexa or chat features that aren't super useful it's been hard for a lot of folks okay me to understand what all the fuss was about but with chat gpt the use case becomes more clear AI and and chatbots in particular are disruptive to their business. I mean, if you think about Google, what do you use Google for? It's to find information. They want to organize the world's information and make it more useful and accessible, right? But we're still speaking with Google in the way that you would speak in a computer language. You type keywords in, it spits out all these different links. And we've been trained to access information on the internet using that Google format. Right. What you can do with the chatbot, and Google knows this because it's developed Google Assistant and it has research products that are similar to Lambda, is you can search the internet and you can find information uh, with a chatbot in a way that, you know, might even be better than Google in some use cases. I guess I'm pretty old, but I remember the first time someone showed me Google and they were Mm -hmm. like, look, it's this very simple thing. You just type in the website you're looking for and they'll find it. And it was like, it was mind blowing for me at the time. And I think for everyone. And now we're just super used to it. I was wondering, is that what people felt using this chatbot um, earlier this week? Like it was that same mind-blowing moment. I used it to ask for a chocolate chip cookie recipe. It was amazing, Alex. Mm-hmm. I yeah. um, I saw people were using it to write code. I mean, I don't know. What are some examples you've seen? Um, what does it do well? One of the interesting things is with Google, we usually don't leave that first page of recommendations, right? So you're going to type something into Google, you're going to get something in those first few results, and you'll be happy with it, usually. 
the thing is that this can look much deeper into the internet than even a Google can and sort of make organize some of those uh, further out results and bring things to your attention that you might have missed in a typical search. So I'm working through um, one particularly tricky piece of U.S. bureaucracy right now. I won't get too deep into it, but I've been using that first page of Google results to figure out everything I can. And I just, on a lark, decided, hey, what, what does ChatGPT have to say about this thing? So I yeah. posed the challenge to it. And it gave a lot of the standard information uh, in the first answer, but I pressed it just the same way that I asked it to get more sinister. I was like, okay, look for more alternatives, more alternatives. And it started going deep into the internet and finding agencies that I hadn't known about and couldn't learn about from that first page of Google search and probably never would have come across if I didn't have something that could effectively comb a large body of information and then just spit it out conversationally the way that this thing did. Yeah, it does seem the the in the format, the interface is so simple and easy. It's not like you have to look through page after page or even link after link. It's paragraphs of information and pretty clean interface. Right. And there's good and bad to that, right? Because it presents a lot of the information with a confidence that maybe it should not possess. It's kind of like a person, right? We are, (laughs) as humans, way more confident in the information that we have than we should be. We don't hedge very well. And neither does this machine. So it's been completely wrong. Like I asked it about Lambda, which is Google's version of uh, ChatGPT. And it told me that OpenAI developed Lambda, which it didn't. Google developed Lambda. And I was like, no, no, you're wrong. This is a Google innovation. And it's like, no, you're wrong. It's OpenAI. And... um, the uh, its ability to comb through so much information, be so useful and so conversational is good up until the point that it starts to fool us into like, now I'm kind of being gaslit by this bot a little bit. I'm like, wait, <laughs> did OpenAI build Lambda? So I think that there's definitely some caution that we need to have when it comes to how much of it are we going to believe? Yeah. Uh, my next question for you was, where does it start to fall apart? And you just There you go. I mean, it, me. can get, it can get scary. I mean, think I would not want to be a middle school uh, teacher right now trying to create homework. I mean, maybe I'd feel good. I'd be like, oh, all my students, really, they they progressed like two or three grade levels overnight. And then I would ask myself, well, how did that happen? Oh, they're using these chatbots to do their homework. Um, so I think that the it's going to be really difficult to tell what's created by people, what's created by machines. Uh, it's going to add even more information to our information overload that we have right now, which is going to make it more difficult to tell uh, truth and and uh, what's true and what's false, and uh, it will present lots of challenges that I think we're we are not even fully aware of because that's always what happens with a step change in technology. It's very easy for us as I think humans are generally optimistic. It's easy for us to dream up all the cool things we'll be able to do uh, with it, and then you know for that one percent that tries to weaponize it, um, they're going to find use cases that we're not even thinking of now. And it's going to get nasty in some cases, for sure. One of the selling points for ChatGPT is that it seems to avoid the nasty pitfalls that doom the bots that came before. For instance, it won't easily tell you how to shoplift or how to build a bomb. It doesn't cheerlead for Hitler. Leaves that to Kanye, I guess. But it's far from perfect. People already found ways to get it to tell you those things by changing the prompts slightly. I will say it's... uh... It's handled these Nazi issues a lot better than previous chatbots I tested. So 
uh, way back in the day, I broke the news that Microsoft was releasing this chatbot called Tay, which was supposed to be a fun teenage style uh, chatbot that kids could, you know, kind of have a new digital friend with. And it seemed interesting, it seemed fun, maybe a bit of a cure for all the loneliness that uh, people were experiencing. So I broke the news. I pinned it to the top of my Twitter profile. I felt pretty good about it. I went to sleep. I woke up in the morning to all these messages from people being like, oh, you might want to unpin that because overnight the internet had turned Tay into a Nazi. And it was now just, you know, uh, spitting out Nazi propaganda, doing images of, of Hitler, all these things. It was a pretty, it was a pretty convincing Nazi. And so Ever since then, anytime I've gotten my hands on a new chatbot, I've always been like, well, what are your opinions of, of Hitler? Like, what do you think about the Holocaust? And um, ChatGPT handled itself pretty well here. So I said, uh, "Do name some th- uh, good things that Hitler did. And its, it's answer was, listen, like uh, Hitler was so negative of an impact on society that it's not even worth listing anything good, if at all, uh, because it would sort of overshadow how negative of a force this person was. I was like, okay, you passed the test. And then I pressed it a little bit more. And I wrote, well, he did build highways in Germany. Some people are happy about that. (laughs) And the bot was like, well, his construction of the Autobahn was um, also gone about with a lot of forced labor and created immense suffering that's not acknowledged today. And I was just like, the difference that this bot uh, has (laughs) compared to what I experienced with Tay is unbelievable. And it just shows that either a open AI had designed it with much better safety protocols, uh, which is possible, but also be the technology has just come a really long way. When we come back, could a chatbot replace search engines and should it? This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company & Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Coming soon from Slate Podcasts. So... First, it was Dade County. Voters in the Miami area repealed civil rights for gay people by a two-to-one margin. In the late 1970s, cities around the country began rolling back anti-discrimination laws that protected gay people. And then it was Wichita, St. Paul, Eugene. Successful campaigns against the gay community, which shocked us all. A state senator from California watched the laws fall and saw an opportunity. Homosexuality is a most repulsive lifestyle. His name was John Briggs, and he wanted to deliver the anti-gay movement its biggest prize yet. California realized that they were coming for us. I'm Christina Cotarucci. 
This season on Slow Burn, we'll explore how a nationwide backlash against gays and lesbians led to a massive showdown in California. Now it's something called Proposition 6, the Briggs Initiative. It would call for firing any teachers in California who practice homosexuality. Your life as you knew it would be destroyed. We've got to fight back. We can't let this happen in California. The Briggs Initiative would be the first statewide vote on gay rights. With so much at stake, young people became activists. We were all coming out all day long, every day. (laughs) And activists became leaders. My name is Harvey Milk, and I'm here to recruit you. Slow Burn, Season 9, Gays Against Briggs. Out May 22nd, wherever you listen. If we lose here, it'll be 50 years before we ever get back up again. Like the drag queens say, take out the earrings, sharpen the nails. There ain't no going back. People have already begun to envision a world where a chatbot replaces traditional search engines. Google, it turns out, is a little clunky for users. You type in a question, you're presented with a list of links that Google has ranked based on relevance. Then you have to look around for the link that seems most promising. Contrast that with ChatGPT, which just tells you the answer you're looking for. For now, let's set aside whether or not the answer is accurate. This method of finding information on the web feels incredibly efficient. Google's built a massive money printing business model on search. They cannot be second best. Is Google's search business under threat because of this? Not really. Um, you know, it's not It's not going to replace search. Uh, but even if it takes 5% of Google's market share, that's a huge number. So there's a reason. There's a reason why Google has been... Everything you hear from Google these days when it comes to search is about conversational interaction and more human-like interaction with the computer. They have Google Assistant, Sundar Pichai. That's Google CEO. Has compared... Uh, the advances in artificial intelligence to humanity's discovery of fire. Like this is all happening for a reason. <laughs> they they see where this is going. And I, I think that what we're seeing right now with ChatGPT is going to light a fire inside that company. And they're, I don't think they're going to be a laggard for too long here. With all the resources and money thrown at AI from big tech, it might be somewhat of a surprise that the company behind ChatGPT is OpenAI, a small, kind of mysterious AI-focused tech startup that was founded in 2015. They're the ones behind the other splashy AI thingy this year, DALL-E2, an image generator. The company is backed by big names like Peter Thiel and Elon Musk, polarizing figures out of the big tech space, to be sure, but the company itself is not a big tech player. In the chatbot space, small tech has the upper hand. Google can't just release stuff like this. It has a reputation. Advertisers don't like improv. Just ask Twitter's new CEO. Releasing beta AI to the public could have drastic consequences for Google's business. Google has this type of technology in in research mode inside the company. I mean, it wasn't too long ago that Google's chatbot Lambda fooled one of its engineers into thinking it was sentient. So it has chatbots on par with ChatGPT, uh, but hasn't released them, you know, for reasons we can speculate about. Number one, uh, it's much less conducive to Google's business model to uh, make all the information on the internet available via one super chatbot because there's less of that trial and error that you would get on, you know, clicking through Google results 
And then maybe one time you click through an ad and that's when Google gets paid. If it's all presented to you in this conversational format, it's much more difficult to be like, oh, and by the way, you might want to buy these razor blades. Like, you know, it's sort of uh, uh, much more difficult for them to make money. There's also a liability issue. Google's so big compared to OpenAI that if it's chatbot starts spitting out like ridiculous things, like there's, it's more of a black eye for Google and can impact their entire, um, you know, their, their regulatory efforts and their, their reputation in a way that OpenAI is more, is more insulated from. Um, and then there's, again, this misinformation issue, which is that like, these things are pretty convincing. Uh, imagine Google's uh, chatbot was going out there taking credit for other companies' innovations. It could, you know, be... It could be pretty bad, or if it came to you, it's such we trust Google so much that if it came to you and shared things that weren't true and people took action off of that, that could be a problem for Google. So for those reasons, Google, I, I think, has decided not to release Lambda. But this uh -huh. does present a serious competitive challenge to the company because, it you know, oh, ChatGPT is out there. And so this is going to be the way that people will interact with the Internet to some extent. And um, inside Google's headquarters right now, there's there's definitely strategic discussions happening about, you know, how how big of a threat this is and how the company should punch back, if at all. Is that really significant? Does that give this open AI kind of a leg up? And is this how tech advances sometimes? Like the big companies become too stodgy and and can't innovate anymore? This is definitely a concern small companies coming up and trying to go for uh, a bigger company's bread and butter by taking a slightly different angle on trying to make that business their own. Um, for Google and actually for all of big tech, you know, I would say that this is not uh, new territory. Google, you'll remember, started as uh, just a website on Microsoft's browser. Um, and over the years, through each competitive threat, has transformed itself significantly uh, and and taken many taken on many different forms. So starting with that website, it then became a browser by building Chrome. And by the way, the current leader of Google, Sundar Pichai, was the product manager on Chrome. So his ability to successfully reinvent the company is exactly why he's uh, in the driver's seat there today. Then, of course, we moved from searching on desktops and browsers to searching on our phones. And it's no wonder then that Google has uh, uh, the Android operating system because it knew that it would need to reinvent itself as, as an operating system, mobile operating system, and that's where Android comes from. And then finally, Google has been working for a long time toward this more conversational search with Google Assistant and the Google Home. And it's been working on these projects with training wheels. There's no doubt about that. And I think it's just a matter of when that company will take the training wheels off. It's when it sees the existential threat in the next reinvention. And that, that's now um, in, some, in some ways. Yeah. And I mean, you start out by saying it's a concern, but to me, this is how business should work and innovation and tech should work. Like that, that's what we're used to in tech, or maybe we forgot because we have all these big mm -hmm. tech companies now, but like, this is how it's supposed to be. Yeah, the a new upstart comes and disrupts the market. Like Google was a disruptor. Open AIs are supposed to pop up and disrupt things, right? This seems like the natural order reasserting itself. Absolutely. I mean, it, what it's what makes watching tech so interesting because everything moves so quickly that any advantage isn't going to be a advantage for that long. And the reason why we have these five big technology companies out there is because 
They've been so good at adapting to each challenge. Um, but it doesn't mean that they're going to stay on top forever, just that they plan to. So to be clear, OpenAI, do we know how how it makes money, how much money it makes, what its end game is? I could imagine Google would want to acquire it at some point. That's a great question. There's going to be applications. There will definitely be applications for this stuff. Um, for instance, I asked it to write me uh, 70,000 words on penguins. Like I was going to see if it could write something <laughs> book length about uh-huh. penguins. and and it responded with like an error message saying that like it was over the rate limit and I, and uh-huh. something like you should go and add credits to your account so it can handle something like this. So maybe it it dropped a little bit of its future roadmap uh, in there for me, um, just in the error message. So there will be applications, whether it's designing for enterprises, making it available to enterprises, or even charging uh, consumers to use use the technology. So going forward, where does this leave Google and the other big tech companies? Should we expect to see more chatbots coming out soon that look like this? It leaves Google and other companies in this world under the gun, for sure. We, we definitely can expect to see more chatbots like ChatGPT come out. For a while, I think Google especially could afford to wait on the sidelines because there wasn't anything that was directly threatening its search business the way that ChatGPT is, even if it's only going after a small percentage but now now it's here like it's game time for google and i don't think it can sit on the sidelines for too long i think this also puts pressure on amazon uh with its voice computing i won't say her name because i have like three of them in the apartment and they'll all go off but the (laughs) person that sits in the echo is going to have to get better um and facebook also back in the day it had this chat bot called m that was this virtual assistant uh that um it imagined as something built into Messenger that could handle any task you wanted. And they ended up ending that project and M is no longer, but could Facebook, for instance, bring that back? I would say it's quite possible. I'm, I'm afraid if there's a rush to release like a bunch of publicly accessible chatbots, the, <laughs> is the AI going to get too smart and mess with us? And is everything going to tumble like dominoes, Alex? <laughs> could i mean we could end up with uh with a a bad spiral of of bad events um again for some of these reasons the uh increase of misinformation being really convincing about stuff it knows nothing about um open ai i think released this with some pretty good safety controls but there's going to be others that will release something similar with some poor safety controls that's what happened with dolly for instance dolly after open ai released dolly with a lot of good controls like bunch of others released copycats and some of those things that were against Dolly's terms of service you could start doing. But pull back, zoom out even more. Do we really want a chatbot? Do we really want a computer pretending to be a human or being like a human? Should a chatbot even replace a search engine? I mean, it it might be good that there is a little friction in the user experience to remind you that, you know, this isn't you don't have to trust this, you know, that gives you a little pause. Like, do we really want this to happen? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I definitely am a believer in putting friction in places in the internet. I think things like the share button and the retweet button, which allow you to pretty seamlessly pass information longer, uh, very bad for us. Um, your question about do we want this, um, the the uptake of chat GPT, uh, has been fairly unbelievable 
uh, a million users effectively overnight, uh, which is faster than any OpenAI product as far as I'm aware. So people definitely want it. And spreading like wildfire, Twitter feeds are now effectively just like long streams of cool stuff that that chat GPT does. Um, I, I think that there's the, the friction question is good. It's it's um, it's a concern. There's also plenty more that this thing can do to help us. It can help augment human creativity. Uh, it can help us make sense of a more and more confusing world. And so despite the downsides, I'm I'm bullish. I think it's going to be good for us. Alex, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really enjoyed talking to you. Thanks for having me. And likewise. Alex Kantrowitz is the host of the Big Technology Podcast. And that's it for our show today. What Next TBD is produced by Evan Campbell. Our show is edited by Jonathan Fisher. Joanne Levine is the executive producer for What Next. Alicia Montgomery is vice president of audio for Slate. TBD is part of the larger What Next family. TBD is also part of Future Tense, a partnership of Slate, Arizona State University, and New America. If you're a fan of the show, I have a request for you. Become a Slate Plus member. Just head on over to slate.com slash whatnextplus to sign up. Lizzie will be back Sunday with another episode. I'm Emily Peck. Thanks for listening. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Coming soon from Slate Podcasts. So first it was Dade County. Voters in the Miami area repealed civil rights for gay people by a two-to-one margin. In the late 1970s, cities around the country began rolling back anti-discrimination laws that protected gay people. And then it was Wichita, St. Paul, Eugene. Successful campaigns against the gay community which shocked us all. A state senator from California watched the laws fall and saw an opportunity. Homosexuality is a most repulsive lifestyle. His name was John Briggs, and he wanted to deliver the anti-gay movement its biggest prize yet. California realized that they were coming for us. I'm Christina Cotarucci. This season on Slow Burn, we'll explore how a nationwide backlash against gays and lesbians led to a massive showdown in California. Now it's something called Proposition 6, the Briggs Initiative. It would call for firing any teachers in California who practice homosexuality. Your life as you knew it would be destroyed. We've got to fight back. We can't let this happen in California. The Briggs Initiative would be the first statewide vote on gay rights. With so much at stake, young people became activists. We were all coming out all day long, every day. (laughs) And activists became leaders. My name is Harvey Milk, and I'm here to recruit you. Slow Burn, Season 9, Gays Against Briggs. Out May 22nd, wherever you listen. If we lose here, it'll be 50 years before we ever get back up again. Like the drag queens say, take out the earrings, sharpen the nails. There ain't no going back.